All right, guys, welcome back to another podcast. Uh, today, we're going to continue our transition uh, from our, on our industry overview uh, from culture, core values, and the education system kind of over to the uh, business portion. So here we go. Welcome to the podcast. Saddle on a Saturday morning, yeah. After you know, a night shift, overnight, yeah. <laughs> I, I I may have gotten a little bit more sleep than you, but I didn't do too bad actually. You know. It was uh, somewhat slow, which yeah. I'm fine with. So yeah, the, rested me eyes. It's so weird because I started in March yes. full time, and like all I saw <laughs> was just madness. And now it's like, oh, you can breathe here a little bit. <laughs> it's just a titch. Now I'm just gonna. Just yeah, one yeah, of those. Always, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it used to be where um, kind of when I first started there, there wasn't anything to do from like January till April. Yeah. I mean, it was like you just knew you were going to work on some special project. And ultimately, that is what Birth Ball Health is. It was like there was just very <laughs> boredom, you know, but mm-hmm. more so trying to focus on industry solutions. But um Anyway, just to kind of, uh, you know, like you know, like we said in the intro, we're still kind of making that swing of the pendulum over to the business side. Uh, last week, of course, we did our um, kind of highlight, you know, Dr. Katie, um, mm-hmm. just kind of talking to her and her experiences a little bit. Um, and I know that last week we had said we were going to focus more on service availability and affordability. But I think even that, honestly, from a podcast standpoint, is probably jumping the gun to mm-hmm. get into that business side. Um, you know, I think where we're at is really starting to say, okay, so you and I have been talking effectively now for 19 podcasts about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I think if, if I was an outsider looking in on these podcasts, it would be, um, like highly theoretical, you know, and just saying like, look at all these things that sound great. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think in these next couple, I mean, and, and I think what kind of changed my mindset at least a little bit was talking to Katie last week is saying like, you know what, honestly, to a certain degree, I think if we get more other, other people's input, cause we have a lot of great people in our organization. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we have some people from outside of the organization um, who work with us. Uh, Dr. Caroline's a perfect example from a relief standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I think as we start to provide that contrast between what are people experiencing outside of our building, what are they experiencing inside our building, and then start to just kind of have that deliberate conversation and saying, okay, as we swing that pendulum from culture and core values and we get over to the business side, we start to talk about business theory. We start to talk about, you know, some of these other, um, you know, kind of more mechanical things at the back end of the practice. It's like, well, what really does this set apart from what is currently out there. Right. Um, and as coincidence would have it, you actually had that experience here um, this yeah. uh, just yesterday. Uh, so, uh, you know, within the last week, of course, of this podcast going live um, about uh, basically someone who is um, uh, contracted mm-hmm. to either go in as a consultant to veterinary practices where you're paying, um, I think you said her rate was like... Roughly w- about $675 yes, an hour. $675 an hour, a- which is... A lot. A, a lot or you have podcasts for free with online content, uh, not to plug ourselves. In a, in a veterinary world where vets are hardly charging what they're Correct. nearly a, a yes. worth. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
So that's one hand where it's like, I mean, what are you actually getting for your money when you bring these business consultants in, um, you know, as far as, you know, how much of it is cookie cutter, how much of it is, again, locally applicable, how much it is unique to the practice itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but again, when we start to look at saying, well, here, here's at least one example of what's available to a veterinary owner or office mm -hmm. managers or so on and so forth. Um, but even, you know, again, sort of swinging that pendulum through, you know, into just saying, well, you know, if not a, you know, someone who's going to manage culture, what are we talking about as far as like software implementation and efficiency of inventory and, you know, all these kind of different tools. So, um, you know, again, I think as we are saying, we're transitioning from culture, core values, education over to the business side. I think it just makes more sense for us to talk about kind of what's out there and some of the challenges that people are going to be faced with, faced with in the real world. Yeah. Um, yep. And then how people outside of an organization when coming into our organization have seen that difference and seen that transition on what really does make our process ultimately revolutionary. Right. I do want to like preempt the conversation itself because I just like, I, this is where I came from. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I just want to put it out there in the understanding that number one, I'm very biased. Yeah. Well, my, yeah. just from my experience in working on a consultative level with multiple different types of businesses and seeing Precisely. some of the other competition on yes. within consultation, I had seen, you know, some, some good ideas, some bad ideas, but ultimately the thing that really always bothered me was the idea of a a move-in ready strategy. Sure. So like just the, here's the things you do. Yes. Um, because every team is different and it did require some, you know, on, on, in our opinion, some significant coaxing about yeah. like what it is. And uh, no, that no, to that exact end is the reason why we started working together. Right. Because for me, coming into Paw Health, I wanted no veterinary industrial solutions. Right. I didn't want anything from inside the profession because most of what you're going to get within the profession is so narrow scoped. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like we talked about last with the five or two weeks ago with the 515 on saying your systems thinkers and your practical thinkers is that I think generally speaking, we lack a lot of systems thinkers. I think mm -hmm. we have very, very practical thinkers, good problem solvers, but sometimes we lack the long-term oversight or the long-term goal planning. Um, and I think that was one of the appeals and I was working together very early is it's like, you know, how many veterinary clients do you have? Oh, well, none. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, perfect. Right. That's exactly <laughs> what I want because yeah. between manufacturing, you know, uh, uh, you know, factory work to, you know, banking and all these different types of things, it's like you start to find a trend in how people are managed and it's not necessarily cookie cutter mm -hmm. in the sense, like you said, that move-in ready component. So I agree with you. I think what began our relationship in the beginning was I didn't want a move in ready strategy right didn't exist and doesn't exist and even implementation doesn't really exist in our profession mm -hmm. uh, but I think veterinary owners and practice managers they get sold on that shit man well yeah because it sounds good yeah I mean it sounds like just do these 5 12 you know 25 things whatever mm -hmm. and you will be more successful it's, yeah but that's the it's the same concept of like a quick consume blog post. That's just you know people don't read the actual body of the pair. You know, sure. Oh, right. Twenty five ways to succeed. Right. Sure. Like, oh, I can do that. And then it's just like somewhere in the back of their head, but it never goes anywhere. Sure. To me, that was kind of the same thing. So yeah. I acknowledge yeah. the fact that I'm biased on that front. Um, and just it really anybody that comes at me from a consultative level, I'm going to be critical yeah, of. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then, the, but the other side of that too that I do want to preface is if. But you have the skill set to be critical of it, right? Yeah. And and that will for those that 
aren't living up here may sound negative. No. Um, I respect what all anybody is doing in, at a consultative level because sure. it's really hard to sell. Yeah. And um, it, it is with the intention of improving. So yeah. this is one of those differences, right? But like, do you contribute to malicious intent what you can contribute to ignorance? And to me, it's like, I don't think she's ignorant. It's just a different perspective that has provided, I don't think, a full scope yeah. of what um, I would agree upon. So yeah. if I start to sound negative, I apologize. Yeah. But I do want to say that I'm thankful for all of the people that are out there trying to better the industry. Yes. Um, where I just have some disagreements with yes. the way that they're doing it. Yeah. No, and like I said, I, I think there's a lot of value in that, though, because what are you not going to get in a typical veterinary practice? Anyone with experience on consultation work. Right. So if it's, you know, it's like essentially the idea of a second opinion, mm -hmm. you know, and the idea of a specialty referral, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you can have, um, you know, veterinarians, quote unquote, that are on the same level, meaning they're non-specialists. We have kind of your general practitioners or um, after hours, you know, non-specialized or whatever it happens to be, but just non-specialized veterinarians, you know, second opinion is just kind of bouncing cases between. And then, you know, at the referral level, it's like when you kind of go up into like some of the really high performers in one particular discipline between cardiology or anything else, it's the same thing you're talking about is mm -hmm. it's like, you would have an expectation of getting a second opinion in almost any other medical case or any other world that we're dealing in, or they say no when to refer, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think, again, like you said, it sounds very good on paper, and I think that's what our industry is really prone to, is something that really sounds good. You end up kicking out a decent amount of money for, mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, in some circumstances, you'll have some companies that are 30, 40, $50,000 packages where it's like, here's your move in ready item. Yeah, we're going to assess your practice. That just gives us the metrics of your practice. So when we institute our cookie cutter processes, we can say, oh, look, here's how much better you're doing and what we're telling you to do. Mm -hmm. um, and some, again, some clinic owners or practice managers, they're going to want a thoughtless implementable tool, right. but it's a effectiveness and its efficiency within a support structure system, especially when we talk core values and unity, at least what we identify as core values. Um, I think that's where you get a lot of this breakdown. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we had even talked before the podcast and I won't jump ahead on your notes, but it was, you know, the, um, you know, unity, you know, and saying that, you know, trust was the only thing that was affecting unity. And it's like, no, actually quite the contrary, mm -hmm. not just from core values, but from anything. So, um, but anyway, so again, I think what I'm trying to drive at is with your level of experience to be able to, to critique this level of work and these level of consults guaranteed no one else in the room had that level with the exception of some of our podcast listeners right. who were also right. at this particular thing. Right. Uh, I won't name names, um, but also just saying, man, this is way off mark. Right. You know, um, it, it, so the, I guess to kind of go, the, the, the reason that I went was like, my industry exposure obviously is nowhere near the level that yours is. No. Um, and I just wanted to go digest what, is the, what is the room saying about the topics that are being discussed, right? Sure. Like, I'm not here to really participate because I'm way too extroverted. And as soon as I start, like yeah, it's going to get bad. Yeah, so yeah. we're just going to, we're just going to sit here and absorb. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, and just uh, screaming from your pen to your paper. There was a, I could tell that I was being noticed yeah. <laughs> as I'm writing things down that are completely non noteworthy. Yes. But either yeah. way, yeah. Three uh, pages. the, the beginning of the conversation, like the introduction to this uh, speaker was, that the, the guy the guy who put it all together was like I was just talking to a clinic owner that lost three certified techs to Quick Trip in the last six months. 
for those that are not from Wisconsin, Quick Trip <laughs> is a gas station. Um, yeah, and those things fly up quick. They do. Yeah, they, it's yeah. an impressive business model. Yes, that puts a significant value on process and culture. Absolutely, that's the easiest way to put. Yes. like yeah, for oh, a gas station, yes. like it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Yep. And he looked at the crowd like just with utter befuddlement of <laughs> how is this possible yeah. that we would lose somebody of a skilled position that mm-hmm. went through schooling to acquire a certification saying that they have the skills mm-hmm. to a gas station. Yes. And from my perspective, I was like, well, I could tell you why. Oh, yeah. I could probably talk for an hour why. And, I, and Well, we talked for 19 hours why, actually. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and that was like, oh, Okay, so now we got to roll all the way back. Yes, we're all mindsets already back to yes. pre episode one. Yes, and yes. and like that was I was glad that he started it that way because it was like oh these guys are really just like trying to just survive. Like yes, that's the whole room, and I was like mm, I can taste it now. Yeah, yeah, you were you were actually in the middle of that hurricane. Yes, yes. So I, I was glad that she started it or he he started with that and then within the first five minutes of this discussion the speaker had referred to this idea of a unicorn practice ah yes you mentioned that last. (laughs) so she went through like what is an ideal client an ideal clinic look like in an ideal um team right and to have all of those things within an ideal set on a consistent basis um, in her estimation, and apparently this is more of an industry term than it is a individual's term, yeah. is the, to have this is so unique that it actually can't be found in nature. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I and yes. I I like I laughed a little bit because right. I was like, well, and I was grateful, but I was also like super sad. Yes, and I was like, yes, that's not that hard to get. Yes, to set like to create a uh, set of clients we could refer to them as caregivers that you enjoy um, because that's going to be built around process which we're kind of getting to yeah yeah but then also to have a clinic structure that is fundamentally strong and a team that fits within it I was like it shouldn't that be the goal yeah like are we just like and to me the idea of referring to it as a unicorn practice it just completely discounted the the rest of the three and a half hours that you're going to talk about. Yeah. Because all you just said was, I'm going to give you all these things to get closer to it, but you're never actually going to get it because it sure. doesn't exist. Sure. So sorry. Yeah. Which not to again toot our own horde, but it took us three years. And it right. as, as, as a growth mindset right. in establishing policy and procedure that is focused around education and so serve the patients and educate the caregiver, that's the whole process. Right. Everything comes from that. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's why, again, what we have is so profound and led to our awards and all these recognitions and all this different type of thing is it's like, no. I mean, you know, a unicorn to a certain degree is by design, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not quote unquote natural, but... Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's it should be the goal. That that was yeah. my whole thought, and the only thing that I really wanted to just touch on with that is, I I don't think it's anywhere near impossible. Like I no. think it's very possible. Yes. Um, so like, I well, was, no, and it, yeah, it comes back to the um, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from Joe Rogan Live is, you know, it's like I know I'm stupid. <laughs> like I know I'm stupid. You know, um, I won't finish out the quote, but um, you know, a, a part of it though is just exactly that is that it is very attainable, and yeah. that's that's why again I, I think like starting on that unicorn 
that unicorn practice part. You're exactly right. It just, it discounts everything that you're trying to say and saying, you know what, you know, uh, shoot 20 steps ahead because you're probably never even going to get past step one. Right. So, so with all of that too, I do like the last thing that I had a thought on with that, uh, in the moment was, okay, so you're saying it's impossible. However, um, I get where you're coming. Like, so that was the, the me really inferring, right? Sure. She wasn't saying that it's impossible. And this sure. is one of those things where it's like, I'm probably overthinking this yes, a little yeah, bit, yeah. but I, I do really, but enjoy, you're part of the crowd. And, and if I enjoy there are, playing devil's advocate yes, on this stuff. Because yeah. How is this going to be received three days later? Correct. By these people, because Correct. that's typically what happens with any sort of seminar yeah. is a 100% of the, well, 80% of the group actually absorbs it. Yeah. And then of that 80%, 50% of it, remember it. And then of that 50%, 1% implement it. Sure. It's always extremely low. Yeah. So, like, of the ones that are going to remember it, what are they going to remember about this? Like, oh, a unicorn. We're like, well, that's just now an excuse. It's impossible. Correct. And that was why I was really kind of sad about it. But the other thing is understanding, like, if you actually put the time and effort into craft a business structure that is of all of these things holy crap, do you outshine the rest of your yeah. competition? Yeah. Um, so so that's kind of where, you know, when we talk about, especially as we shift over to the business services and the tangible benefits that we're able to provide, yeah. that does kind of come out of that. Um, yeah. So. yeah, no, but I think, you know, again, you kind of said it right, you know, coming from our section uh, 1.2, I think page three, which is the assigning accountability, Yeah. Um, is you're exactly right is it basically makes the environment uh, it, it perpetuate it comes from a place of and perpetuates the idea of victimhood yes so it's one where it's just like well yep I guess you'll never actually obtain this and there's things outside of your control and you can try to control some of these things but some variables you just can't control right and it's like but that's yep nope <laughs> yep. That's literally, I think, almost like the first line of the definition of victimhood mm -hmm. is things are outside of your control when right. quite the contrary. And, and again, like, I don't think that was the intention of the statement, but it's yep. definitely like I've had that thought. Yep. Like you, like when I was coming out of college and was like going through sales training stuff, like mm -hmm. it was oh, well, this guy's just really good at it. Sure. Therefore, I don't have to do this. Or, or like, it's really easy to craft the excuse oh, yeah. because it's not my fault or whatever it is. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, the other thing I had, uh, um, uh, one of my uh, good friends, um, I'm, uh, Jeffrey, I'm actually helping him through some of the 515 stuff, traction stuff, that kind of stuff. And he had actually identified the same thing, that at least there, there is a um, an ageism component to this as well, mm -hmm. is saying, you know, um, you know, everything happens for a reason, uh, you know, those types of statements where you may find in a professional setting where it's like, oh, that's just the way things are. You know, it's all kind of the same thing where we're saying that if our focus is to help uh, support and hold up the veterinarians that come after us, the nurses that the veterinary nurses that come after us, the support staff that comes after us, and as the quote unquote elders, because we're kind of like middle elders, right? Mm -hmm. So as you start to look at you know the other elders who are just continuing to feed down this line of saying like, oh, some things are just going to be out of your control, and these are individuals who um, you 
may look up to and you may be receiving that advice and just that one little quib gets in your brain where like you said it may have been where you know only part of the room heard it and only part of the room's going to hold on to it and some of them not even really thought twice about what she said at all but it's if that person says it to someone who is um influenceable Mm -hmm. you know so they can be influenced by these statements is you may have actually considerably stumped their ability to one have a growth mindset, mm-hmm. um, you know, to uh, challenge themselves, to challenge the gro- the group, to fail comfortably, mm-hmm. um, you know. So we we may be actually taking those tools away from these people, and that's why again, what we have said uh, time and time again is when we identify talent, um, is we want um, veterinary professionals, whether they're um, veterinarians, veterinary nurses, the um, or unlicensed staff, um, is we want them pre graduation to three years out, mm-hmm. you know, because if they get one of these little quibs in there and we start to have what is the big thing in talent loss of self-worth you know we start to get these little bits in there and it's like um it may take us several after action reports it may take us tons of 515s to uncover this deep down mindset of guess what you're never actually going to obtain a unicorn practice so don't don't try too hard right you know right that's that you're only going to get disappointed and you're only going to fail yes correct wonderful i want to be disappointed and I want to fail because the solution is there <laughs> that you can find and implement. And then once you fail enough times and then succeed, it feels fantastic. Right. But that's you. <laughs> so, the, and again, like, this is why, like, when I go to something like this, and I've done this in many, many Other, different ways. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's like, and this is why I'm so careful about the words that I use over the overwhelming majority of the time is two words out of four hours of speaking just set these people up yeah to just right just i'm just gonna discard almost all of this right and and like that's to me that's uh frightening i guess is the easiest way to put it uh i i did just write my notes some of these i'll go over but the one that i found very fascinating and and this was words that i've never heard before was uh (laughs) client compliance sure so i get like you know, basically, do they go with what you recommend? Sure. Yep. Uh, and she, um, the the lady was like, "What What do you guys think? You're you, just from a gut feelings perspective, percentage wise. What do you think that you are normally having in terms of like uh, total visits? One hundred percent compliance. Yeah. Ten to twenty percent. I mean, we don't need to have the explicit uh, little symbol on this podcast, so I'll try to hold my breath. 10 to 20%. Yeah. And, like, this was one of those moments where I wanted to raise my hand. I, was, I wanted to say, like, 85. I was going to say, off the cuff, I'd be in the 90th percentile. Because uh, <laughs> informed consent. Yes. Uh, estimates. Yes. Uh, High-value consultations. Yes. Uh, High-quality exams. Yep. Um, yep. Extreme transparency on yeah. everything. Yeah, diagnostic clarity. Yeah, treatment plan clarity. You know, they see the treatment plan several times. Uh, we have, oh, of course, all of our medication labels are pure. We have all of that transfers over to then printed discharges, mm-hmm. which then also we have caregiver resources to go along with that on educational materials for what we then just went over in that consultation mm-hmm. to then clearly identify recheck times with a recapture process that's like, well, we need to make sure you are coming in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. So yeah. I mean, as as a twenty four hour animal care center, 
so I, I will give us one benefit in the fact that we see more sick patients. True. Therefore, the urgency is higher. Yes. However, a, uh, at a, a 60% gap yes. is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, at a minimum. Yeah. So, and that goes so deep because, again, as we as we talk about compliance, I mean, the things that I kind of just listed off there. If you look into the industry overview, that's all stuff we're talking about: recapture and engagement and mm -hmm. wellness and ailment. Right. You know, as it is really the heavy business side of this, which right. then, of course, bleeds over into like again recapture mm -hmm. pay, uh, caregiver compliance. But it comes back to when it's like a ten to Jesus Christ twenty percent compliance rate in some settings. It's again for us. It's easy for us to kind of you know stare down our no our nose a little bit and saying, well, our like governing principles are serve the patient and educate the caregiver. Mm -hmm. So for me to say, all right, well, there is that huge gap. It's like, why do we have such a massive gap? Oh, well, do we have a team that is serving the patient? Mm -hmm. Do we have a team that is educating the caregiver? Do right. we have you know are those processes in place? And I think again, the answer is no. But yeah. I think another big part of that too, and it's kind of going back culturally, is do you value yourself in any way to actually yeah. display like display to the individual that's sitting in front of you that you are of high value? Mm -hmm. Cause if you don't believe it up here, it doesn't matter what your mouth is doing. Absolutely. They're never going to get on that page. Yeah. So like this was something that I was like, okay, yeah, y'all need to get this figured out. Yeah. Now it, it you know, was there really a solution in place with this one? Not a whole hell of a lot, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. but it's like, you need to, you need to believe in yourself. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. That's this whole self-worth part, you know? And so, I mean, we even had that joke yesterday with, um, Shelbert, one of our you know, uh, front end staff <laughs> whose name is not Shelbert, but anyway, um, where, you know, we were just talking in the treatment area yesterday and yeah. she had said something, she said to me, she was like, man, I really wish I had as much self-worth as you do, yeah. you know? And it's like, I mean, again, and I really, I'm like, Shelby, we can work with you on that. You know, yeah. we can, we can help you with that. That's no problem. Um, but for me, I was like, you know, like, hell yeah. Right. Like, hell yeah. Yes. You know, like one, it's okay. I've been around the block. I've seen a lot of stuff and I'm going to pull confidence from the things that I didn't think I was going to be able to do that I did do. Um, but also part of that self-worth is just going and feet first and stuff that you don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the ability to fail. I right. think is what it boils down to. And that's where, what, what breeds self-worth is if you don't have a comfortable environment in which you can fail, it, you're, it's going to be uh, astronomically more difficult to increase your self-worth. Right. You can do it. It just becomes significantly more difficult. That was so I actually, I coach some high school kids. Um, and that was one of the things that I had pushed really early on was sure. the idea of success breeds confidence and confidence breeds success. Yes, right. Yes. So you only have control over one of those. At any so, one time. Well, really, right. I, I don't, I don't, you, cause I coach a bowling team, yeah, right? Yeah. You're only bowling against yourself. That's why yes. I love that sport because yeah. it's like as long as you do what you do, like yeah. success is really in front of you, but it's not going to guarantee that you win. Sure. So the only thing that you really have control over in a competitive sense is your confidence. Mm -hmm. So just be confident. Like yep. just believe that you can do it. And then when you fail, like figure out how you can do it better. Yeah. And then be confident about the fact that you put the time and effort in to get better so you can be more, more confident and then find greater success. And like, mind you, there's... 15 to 18 years old. Right, right, right. However, like that was like, yes, like they just didn't get it. And up to that point, up to that point. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. And, um, it, it's taken a long time to cultivate that. 
However, in you know, this is now year four. Like it is shining through greatly with I'm the kids sure. that I started with when they were Couple fifteen. Yep. And now it's like they just walk in. And like they just know they're just going to do their thing. I yeah. don't have to tell them anything. Yeah. I don't have to keep their their hopes up or whatever yeah. it might. They just go and they just throw the ball, nail it. Yep. And it's like, guys, you don't have to worry about it. So it's the same thing as like to me as a as a consultation or um, exhibiting uh, value is you just simply have to go into that room with the confidence that you're going to do it well. Yep. And if you screw it up, figure out how you can do it better and go do it again. Yep. Apparently, that's being read as imposter syndrome. Yes, that primarily, yes. Which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. Because if that's the case, everyone is an imposter in almost every single thing that everything. they do. Everything. Yeah, everything. From, from, from bowling up to being a doctor of right. veterinary medicine. Right. It's no, and I, I think you can kind of mimic, you know, kind of make fun of it and saying fake it till you make it. But no, that, I mean, like literally, and I, and I always, whenever anyone talks to me about imposter syndrome, like I understand. When you look into the category of talent and talking about the loss of self-worth, like I absolutely positively understand where that comes from. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it isn't a valid sensation that people exist or, you know, that they exist in that world or they exist in that mindset. There's no fucking time for it. Right. There is no fucking time for it. Right. And I think when we start to say, you know, um, like, like, you know, I, I actually I think about this a lot, to be perfectly honest. Um, and this is where I'm going to start to get just a little bit heated and not necessarily at the veterinarians in particular. But when, you know, I'm part of some online forums and, um, you know, some of those talk about, um, you know, one from an imposter syndrome standpoint, but also as far as like getting negative rapport from clients. Um, pardon me. And I say this um, because, you know, again, from an anger standpoint, like in this, again, I know, I know it has a component of self-worth that I have a very high self-worth. Mm -hmm. But when I get a negative review, like I know that I did a really good job by this patient, maybe something lacked in communication or, but I know that I tried my hardest in this patient. I establish informed consent and in saying there are other options for you diagnostically, mm -hmm. or you can go somewhere else for referral, or we can try this and here's some options and it doesn't go according to plan. Now, again, this doesn't happen too often for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, this was very, you know, more so early on in my career. Um, but a part of it was, I remember when I would get sort of this negative feedback, Honestly, it was these massively personal attacks yeah. and it was like, yeah, I mean, we all have confidence issues when we first kind of start in practice. And for me, it was just more so of like, I just don't feel like I know a whole lot coming out of school. You have a you know, significant loss of self-worth. Um, and even from the clinician while I was in veterinary school, that kind of disparaged me. And then um, coming into practice and having, um, you know, clients who are then speaking ill of me. And I, I, I say this conservatively, it's like, fuck you. Right. Seriously. Right. Seriously. How, how fucking dare you? Right. And it's like, I don't care. I don't care if I am just an associate veterinarian here. I'll, I had a negative interaction with you. I'm going straight to my boss and being like, that client's an asshole. Right. You know, and it's like, oh, you know why? I might, you know, my boss is worried about losing clientele at what fucking expense. Right. You want to talk about imposter syndrome. How are we creating an environment where not just, and like I said, I, this I, I'm trying not to get too heated about it, but you know, a part of the, you know, this imposter syndrome is having an environment where these people are not allowed to learn, mm -hmm. where they're not allowed to fail. And that fail comes with reprimand and fail really should be coming with an opportunity for growth. And that's what makes me so upset about imposter syndrome. It's not that we have veterinarians in of themselves that don't feel confident in themselves because we all don't feel confident in ourselves. It's this just what it is. Mm -hmm. But to be put into an environment where you, you don't have the support of those around you, you 
you don't have the support of the owner of the practice or the administrators in the practice, and the, and you keep getting thrown at the mercy of clients who in of themselves have no idea of the scope of the knowledge that you truly have or the potential that you have, and they make these personal attacks, shove it. Right. You know, and that's where I think I have a problem with imposter syndrome is not necessarily because the veterinarians and technicians are not allowed to feel it. It's that this environment that we have supports it and cultivates it. And then we say coming into one of these management things where it's like, if you ever want to improve an environment in which imposter syndrome is no longer a problem, it's now a unicorn practice. Right. It doesn't exist and just live with it. Right. And to me, that's bullshit. Right. Right, and then we get surprised when 20% of caregivers yes. are compliant with what you're trying to say. Exactly. Because the environment that is being perpetuated on a yes. daily basis yes. is just completely, like, that's, bleh. Yeah. That was the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it's time for change. Like, and we have, we've been saying this now for 19 to 20 podcasts now, and it's, it is time for change. The confidence that we get is in this process. Mm -hmm. You know what? I, and I, I, I believe this from when working as an associate veterinarian, you know, we had really, really high prices. This before we took over, mm -hmm. um, you know, really high prices. You know, it was a lot of people, either we were, you know, euthanizing patients or sending them out the door, or, you know, whatever happens to be, um, is that when it came to some of these treatment strategies, and it's like, ah, oh, man, you know, I know this is a treatable condition, and but our prices are too high, and these people can't afford it. It always came back to those animals ended up getting care somewhere. Yeah, they ended up getting. It may not be with me, but they got their normal vet, or there's another vet they can transfer to, or they always get care. It's the same thing for bullshit clients. Mm -hmm. Them and their animals will go be served somewhere else where they will be happy, but it's not going to come at one the expense of my self worth. Mm -hmm. It's not going to come at my mental health in any capacity and it's not going to come at the expense of the team who is there constantly to serve that patient right. um and that was i i, I just i i uh, dr dane uh through this holiday this this holiday he had a client that um was really just on one of these constant rhetorics of you know you're a vet and you know these are expensive but this is my baby and your prices are too high and you're telling me that mine and i can't my he stood up and walked out of the room he was like I don't have time for you to talk to me like this. And he just left. Perfect. I was like, high five, Dane. Yeah. It's true. Yes. You know, when Absolutely. we're talking about working eight, 10, 12 hours days, we're sacrificing our family. We're trying to seek fulfillment from a, a profession that is dying in tradition and dying into corporate medicine. We're sacrificing ourselves. And then we just keep getting hit from all angles, angles, walk the fuck out of the exam room, walk the hell out of the clinic and find a different job and find somewhere that you will be fulfilled. Cause they do exist. Mm -hmm. Sometimes exist. They do exist means you have to create it. And that's where we have the ability now to say, Hey, this is the structure by which you can take any practice and turn it into it, into this quote unquote unicorn, right? You know, is that this is something that happens by design. And that goes back to kind of just to follow up on what Katie had said last week, right? Of like, what else could I do? Yes. Where else was I going to go? Yeah. Like this was the only way yeah. to go after going through all of that stuff and trying to over please people because of directive yes right and like just being just constantly just crapped on and having to take it yeah. because of you know corporate numbers and yeah just the, yeah the, corporate numbers yeah the same problems for different reasons right yes. right yes and that that's that's why that 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 that's and again like kind of following up on that statement of there was there was only one way to go after right. that point yes and this was it yeah um so that this is later on my pages but i it is directly in core uh in, in concept with it is that uh in in sales generally speaking they say 80 percent of your clients 
uh, require very little of your time. Uh, and 20% of your clients require almost all of your time. <laughs> sure. Uh, fire the 20%. Absolutely. Just, just buy. Yeah. And, um, they will get served exactly. somewhere else. Exactly. It's not that they are lacking care or you are withholding care. Right. It's that you're focusing on the greater good. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we had to do that uh, a few weeks ago with patients that were overly aggressive, right? Yep. So this was specifically process-related. Yes, because yes. Because we have a patient separation process. Yep. That, that happened, yep. and those patients went off the reservation. <laughs> they were just, yeah. nope, dad's not around. Time to rip off faces. Yes. And so that caregiver was respectfully asked to go find care elsewhere yes. Monday morning. Yep. Like if you need us to call somebody for you yes. or whatever, just to like state the level of urgency, yep. that's fine. Yep. However, there's nothing I can do here. Yeah. Like I've just never, not gonna do I've it. never heard my doctor say this before. <laughs> like <laughs> right. literally yes. never heard him say like, I cannot examine these patients right. because I, my, our staff and I will get injured. Yes. And, um, and then we get a one spot, a one star from this guy saying we should all go work at McDonald's. Yes. And yes. it's like, if I didn't, if I didn't have the, 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 the scope of understanding of why that process happened the way that it did. Yes. Like I could totally see how somebody could just wear that, like yeah. just a big red patch yep. and just like, Oh yeah, there's that one. Yeah. Like we couldn't do it. Yeah. They just gutted me because I kept my staff safe. You know, like, okay. Well, that, and that's just the thing. Like, um, I think having the intrin the not even intrinsic, but just clearly stated value among our entire team yeah. is like empowers them to make decisions like that. Absolutely. To get up out of the get up out education of the room uh -huh. and just, okay, I don't have time for this. Yeah. I have nope. other patients to serve, sir. Yes. Yep. Bye. Yes. And I think, you know, you kind of say, you know, 80% uh, 80 of your clients don't require a lot of time. You say the 20% do. It's 10% at the low end and 10% at the high end. That's true. You know, that's it's, true. It's yeah, not for us, like, it's, it's definitely you know, more like that. Yeah, it's yeah. not, you know, that's why we kind of say serve the middle 60%, serve yeah. the middle 80%. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, to that end, you're exactly right. Is it when... I think the best thing that could have happened for our culture is that I start that I and, and Katie, of course, Katie came over at least full time a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but I think the the thing that had bled through was that level of high self worth and saying like, nope, you know, I I know I know what I'm doing to the degree that I don't know what I'm doing, but I know what we're doing is fantastic. Right. Um, you know, and uh, but yeah, to bleed that through to the staff, that's why like I, I gave Dana a huge high five. I was like, good for you, man. Mm -hmm. Like, and I even told him, I said, there's no reason why you should ever have to put up with that. Like, mm -hmm. just leave, you know, and he's like, well, I'll put up with a little bit of it. I said, as executive order, <laughs> understand that you have to put up with 0% of it. He's like, well, I know some people just kind of blow off steam and I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. I'm like, but at least from me as quote unquote, the owner of, you know, the whole shebang, you know, it's like, just know that on my back, whatever this turns into, if it turns into a complaint process, I got your back, right? you know, and right. uh, there's uh, books about that. There are, uh, there are many books about that. We, uh, at some point, um, there's one particularly that's called that, that I would like to go over in a, in its own setting. Sure. Cause I think there's a lot of value in the tools that are included. And it's in literally, this. I got your back. It's literally called, I've got your back. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I read that book probably four years ago and consistently reference it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
with all of that and, and kind of that, that idea of empowerment, right, is uh, one of the things that they had touched on uh, in this discussion was uh, an ideal team player is a go-getter. <laughs> and then you take all of the stuff that we just talked about, yeah. right? It's like the common idea of a go-getter to me, like the what is implied as a problem solver, somebody that gets out there and just kind of figures it out yeah. and is willing to dive in and, and go yeah. and get something. Yeah rather than just sit on their hands and wait. Sure. So, like, potentially more accountable, even though the the word accountability at this point hadn't been spoken or written anywhere in the room once. Sure. Um, and so I, I got what they were going at, but then it's like you realize that you're just now just perpetuating the fact that all of this stuff is just going to completely destroy all of that. Like, all... Everything that has been discussed in this room, and I know that the majority of it is what we're talking about is problems, but you already set yourself up for the excuse of the problems are going to continue to just exist. Right. So now when we get a go-getter, like, oh, you're an awesome team player, but we're not going to change anything. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, how long is that going to last? Correct. Uh, and how not is, long. Yeah. How is that person going to gain ongoing purpose and well-being? They're going to gain by getting out in seven years. Correct. Yeah. Right. Right. They're going to go to Quick Trip. Yeah. Where accountability is valued. Correct. So it, which is, again, to me, hilarious. Like, the com right. <laughs> the fact that it is a gas station. Right, right, right. Like, ah, uh, yeah. But it's a service industry. It is. You know, and I, th is. I think that was one of the one of the things that kind of checked off. Um, when I was trying to get Paw Health started in the, in the beginning, you know, I, of course, I had a little bit of my own money to invest, and I was kind of looking around for other investors, and basically the pitch that I had put together when I was like, Paw Health is, a, I, know, I know this mindset is the future, and again, this is before we really had any established anything. I just knew, and I trusted what in my head was exactly what the industry needed. What I basically wrote out um, to anyone who I was seeking investment from, which was no one in the end, I had to do yeah. it all on my own back, um, was that we have to exclude the veterinary profession as being something unique. Mm. It is It is just a service industry, and that is it. Yep. And I think, did I did I talk about um, the uh, quick oil change? Did we talk about that? We did a little bit last a week. A little bit yeah. the last one, but yeah, it's it, it pretty much just, I mean, I won't necessarily go over it entirely again, but my dad, um, he was a, he was a you know, 1970s gearhead, mm -hmm. you know, he got you know, automotive up to the service industry, service manager, and ended in education, and basically he and I have always seen eye to eye, where it was, and I think when I said this, is he treats mechanical animals and I treat biological cars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is essentially the same thing is when you start to look at what the veterinary industry is as a service industry, I have absolutely, and that's why I think we kind of made the joke is like, I actually have no surprise that people are working for an organization like Quick Trip, which I mean, Quick Trip has an amazing model, they do. you they know, do. but if you look at it from, you know, from a, a pure service industry standpoint, mm -hmm. um, it's everything that you would want in just a, work environment mm -hmm. if you could institute that in any other you know and then we're just saying institute into the veterinary profession you know so right. i'm sure i'm sure their um uh, implementation strategy is different obviously because it's kind of specific to uh, the gas station industry right. um you know but uh it's it's unanimous well the interesting part about that is uh probably two 
two or three years ago uh, when on the consultative side we were looking at building a level of education system that we right. know, we, we, had, yes. we had put the wheel out of like how do we make this transferable across multiple uh, industry types, yep. business types, whatever. And like just kept running into barriers of like, well, it doesn't really fit here and you like you need yeah. the, the individual look and um, all that sort of stuff. Um, but the, the, the big comparisons that we had when we were looking at it culturally were uh, Quick Trip and Chick-fil-A. Sure. It's like, okay, so you have sure. a fast food joint and a gas station are n- on a national level, the two models of cultural consistency and quality. Yes. Woof. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. Yet we've got, you know, like on, on the other side and uh, in the, the actual discussion yesterday, she kind of, she kind of shit on him a little bit was, uh, it, you know, tell me about an accounting practice that has that right service industry, technically right. team based environment. Right. And I don't know, I've never worked in an accounting practice yeah. and I bet it exists somewhere. Yeah. Ours, <laughs> our accountants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. And like, that's, you know, again, like the, that mindset and again, watching the words is like, well, it's just another excuse. Yeah. It's just another excuse to yeah. be like, well, it doesn't really exist. Yeah. That doesn't really, like, Quick Trip's just the, the exception. The exception to the rule right. of trash. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And it just, it still keeps coming back to, I mean, for us, by her definition, I think we've kind of skirted around it, but by her definition, I mean, we have one of these unicorn practices. Yeah. And like to say, to say that it's by design, it still comes back to, Joe Rogan, like, I know I'm stupid. You know, like, it's, you know, these things, you know, these things are, are very, I don't want to say they're easy to implement, but I think that it's a very simple solution that yeah. has a complex implementation strategy. Yeah. But, um, you know, at the end, yeah, it, it can happen in any industry. Um, one of the other things that she had referred to a, a, a lot in the thing was the idea of um, receiving um, what she referred to as rainbow moments, which okay. is like, just like the feel good moments. Okay. Sure. Um, so, uh, again, I'm an, I, this is me, um, extrapolating a little bit. It wasn't specifically discussed in this, uh, specific setting this way. However, again, I know it's going to be heard this way at, over time is what she, uh, what she meant by a rainbow moment and looking out for it is be grateful. There are a lot of positive things in your life, regardless of how bad your culture is, regardless of how bad the business structure is. Like in most days, like it's still probably pretty good. It's still, it may be, sure. I don't know. Like just yeah. be grateful, right? Just right. find the positives and yeah. be grateful because, you know, even at if least it's, that even if it's not exists. at work, you have a job, sure, right? You got to work because sure. you have a vehicle or you're able-bodied enough to get to work. Sure. You, you know, sure. You have a home, whatever it might yeah. be. Like yeah. there's a lot of things to be grateful for. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a split from the uh, uh, first world problem type thing. Yeah. It's essentially that. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep. So with all of that, what the the way that it was that was not how it was detailed though it was go and um, you know try and create these grateful moments and then the focus of the entire discussion went directly towards um, caregiver interactions okay and trying to find the uh, things to be grateful for within those interactions and uh, the like. I know I'm I'm going a little far here, so stay with me. Uh, basically, what the conversation turned into was you, 
and this is you are now subject to the volatility of a caregiver interaction because you are now putting yourself in a position of no power because as much as you put into it your your um uh, positivity is based exclusively on how they react to what you put into something sure and you cannot control what that person does correct right so with all like with that idea again i get the idea of being grateful and putting the work in and trying yeah but that's not where the value comes in right the value is putting the work in and trying it's right. not in receiving yeah the edification from somebody else. Right. It's like, cause that's the, that's the Dane situation. Like right. he, uh, Dane's consultations are extremely thorough. His yes. informed consent is amazing. Yeah. His medicine is phenomenal. Yeah. Like yep. boom value. Yes. How that's received does not impact him in any way. No, exactly. And it's like, okay, well if you're not going to value this and you're actually going to try and tear me off of it. Yeah. I know what I do is extremely good. Yep. Therefore, I'm going to leave. Yes. It's not in any way, shape, or form about the fact that you're now receiving thanks yep. or hugs or whatever crap that you're going to get from somebody else. When you get that stuff, it's great. Yes. It feels good. You can be thankful for that as well. Yep. However, th that cannot be the linchpin for your feeling of success. Like, I, Correct. It's uh, at least in some capacity, it's you're still maintaining the victim mindset where you're going to put mm -hmm. in, and then it's a powerless a, state. Yeah, it's a powerless state, and yeah. I, part of it is is you're in some capacity allowing that caregiver to be both um, the rescuer and the persecutor. Yes. Yes. So it's I'm, I'm going to maintain victimhood, and whether or not I make this a rainbow moment, or if this turns into a, a moment of disparity, is exclusively based on what you give me back. Right. Yeah. That's that, that's bullshit. Exactly. And that yeah. was my whole thing. And again, like yeah. I don't think that's what the intention of the discussion was. Right. Yep. The I believe that the intention was be grateful. Yes. Just just find the things to be grateful for, and yeah. the fact that. If, if you're if you're fresh out of school or three years out of school and it's like you just feel like you're getting beaten down, be grateful by the fact that you have the education sets where you can go find a job somewhere else if it's yep. just not for you. Like sure. it within the industry that you want to work in. And at sure. some point, somebody's going to receive whatever it is that you have to say, <clears throat> us. Uh, right, <laughs> right. But like that's really, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's, that was the idea. The um, I would say, I would argue that the the third day thought of this is yeah. gonna be well that person was terrible therefore yeah. I didn't do my part and now I am now le worth less correct yep it's, yeah it's yeah it's institutionalized issues within talent right you know and it's, you don't necessarily have to even call it uh, you know hierarchy because I mean again we say that you know on our industry overview there's so much overlap between. Um, you know, culture and uh, self-worth and, you know, kind of all those different things. But yeah, we're, yeah. yeah. So with that, then within probably five minutes of it, uh, the, the words, and I really wanted to write this one down, the words specifically were people deserve to feel good. Like really soon there after this discussion. Okay. Um, I take significant issue with that. <laughs> And I'm not saying that people exclusively deserve to feel bad. Yes. However, um, feelings are what they are. Yeah, right. You're going to feel the whole width of emotions across the board. Yeah, yeah. And um, people deserve to 
control the way that they feel. Yeah. Right. Like it's not really about like, and this is again, me kind of being an a-hole. So I apologize, but um, looking outward and expecting people to make you feel good is just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. It wasn't, it was she coming from a place of like people deserve to feel good? Like the customer is always right. Or is this like people within the team or was it just it was, like, it, it was, was mostly team focused. So like you show up to work, you deserve to feel good. Sure. But with the flavor of you're looking at caregivers to feel and expecting good. edification. Sure, sure, sure. Like very close in like, sure. So the, the juxtaposition of those two concepts is what, yeah. Right. Yeah. And now I'm thinking about it from, again, a third day's thought perspective. I'm going to come back to work on Monday, back to my eight to five yeah. clinic that it's like, it's been okay for the last yeah. three years. Yeah. And my third interaction with a caregiver is going to be kind of crappy yeah. and they're going to be non-compliant with what I recommend or whatever it might be. It's like, mm, I don't feel good. Yeah. I deserve to feel good. Right. Mm. Maybe I should just go on to the next one. Like yeah. maybe an excuse to not problem solve my way through this one or whatever. Like, well, no, no, that, that's, that to me is exactly what it rang through on is saying like, say I deserve to feel good. I didn't get it from this client. I think again, it become the, I deserve to feel good. I think not in every circumstance. Cause I agree. I think we all deserve to have purpose and we agree. We have purpose and fulfillment, Absolutely. you know, well-being, yes. shared well-being, shared purpose. I mean, that's all there. I'm not saying not to have that capacity. Um, but again, I think it becomes a coined word that you allow it to become a barrier. Yes. You know, where it's just like, okay, well, I deserve to feel good. This person is making me feel bad, but I'm not going to actually, like you said, problem solve at why this situation went the way that it went. Mm -hmm. Now, you may not actually be able to engage that caregiver again to rectify that situation. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Right. But if you have a scenario where you are starting to find, like for many years, um, I had this issue. I don't anymore. I feel like a lot of veterinarians do, at least on the forums that I'm on constantly, is that there's kind of this like contention between veterinarians and breeders, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, well, the breeder said this and the breeder said that. It's the same thing. Dr. Google said this and Dr. Google said that. It's a 10 minute discussion about that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, see, uh, funny. Right. So anyway, so when we start to, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of come and saying that it's a barrier for progress. Yeah. I had a bunch of negative experiences with breeders because I was in that mindset, at least to a certain capacity that they were against us and we were against them. That was kind of culturally what I was brought into. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started to continue to have these negative interactions, I burnt bridges with a lot of breeders over the years, but I started to problem solve it and saying, oh, well, why is this continuing to happen? And some of it is, yeah, my compromise is I just don't engage certain types, but what is part of my solution for fulfillment is I actively seek out trainers, breeders, you know, people within sort of the, um, unlicensed or, you know, sort of untrained medical side, you know, we just did a whole thing for police and search and rescue dogs and so on and so forth is that now, instead of me trying to gain some degree of fulfillment from people in, you know, the exam room, I'm gaining fulfillment by giving information to those people who are willing to receive it. Right. You know, it's not a matter of them appreciating what I'm receiving that, you know, what I'm giving Mm -hmm. them, but it has more to do with, no, I actually feel that I feel good because I have problem solved through this issue and I'm recreating less unnecessary conflict by doing so. Mm -hmm. But I think that's my big concern with that and saying everyone deserves to feel good is does that then become a barrier in your brain against progress and growth? Exactly. And then not too terribly, actually it was a little while after that. I don't really remember, 
my, my the, the yeah 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 chronologic yeah, yeah she actually did go into the psychology of how we have thoughts like the way that it passes through you know basically fight or flight to oh, sure. your emotional brain to your rational brain sure, and like sure. every thought's going to go that way no matter yeah. what because we're hardwired to do that and then like and she did she had this this example of basically you have um you know, like one two three four five six different like ways you can have thoughts essentially like one can be negative one can be worrisome one can be a victim mindset one can be anger and one can be basically just like just an emotional and uh, energy suck sure. but then there's the rational one and like just pushed towards that so again like i think that it was there um in uh intention but the with understanding how that process goes and then not watching the words of understanding, like you don't actually have to look at other people to feel good. Right. You can do it yourself. Yes. Like it just, you know, there was, there was some mixed messaging. Yeah. I guess would be the easiest way yeah. to put it in. And, and I yeah. want it, like I, I was hoping for some significant more clarity on that front because mm -hmm. even when it went into the, the, the discussion of like, you know, do I go at this situation with a negative mindset or with a rational mindset? To her, it was a little bit of a growth mindset in this instance. Um, you know, it, it was still with the flavor of the expectation of when I have a rational mindset on this, that it's going to be received positively and therefore I'm going to have a rainbow moment and I can feel good because of the way that this person reacted to it. Yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah. Like how many times are we overly rational? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. We're extremely pragmatic. Yeah. And like just tell people the, like what's happening from a rational perspective. And then it just go. I mean, they don't know how to handle it. Yeah. No, I get that honestly in consultation. And actually some of my ongoing negative reviews are people actually find me to be too objective. Right. And that, you know, again, for me, I actually, I think is a pretty good compliment, mm -hmm. you know, in just saying like, you know, they always like, what are the, what are the coined questions I get in every consultation? What would I do if it was my dog? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, some of these other, you know, types of, uh, you know, kind of humanization or personalization questions or comments. Um, but at the end, you know, it really comes down to, no, I have a system of rational thought that allows me to establish not only informed consent, but to put together management strategies that are in the animal or the patient's best interest, which may not actually coincide with the human's best interest, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's where we do kind of start to blur the line on some of these things and saying like, who are we actually serving? Because if, again, we're looking to caregivers to receive that good feeling coming back and saying, well, guess what? We're going to have some real difficult conversations mm -hmm. that even if you have a high bond spectrum client where, you know, we're talking fur baby spectrum, like to me, that's part of our process is engaging neutrality. So I don't care if I have a hunting dog, a farm dog or a far a fur baby. I'm it's, I'm going to be providing them with the same level of objective data. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when we say, you know, talk about the rational mind. It's like, if, if we can get to this point where, and I think this is what we talk about in our podcast, um, at least certainly in the cultural section, but as we move and transition, swing that, pendulum over to the business section, you'll start to see that a lot of what we're doing is actually kind of like a harmonization where basically a graying or a neutrality type perspective on how policy is developed, people are handled, so caregivers are handled, how patients are handled, is it basically allows everyone to be treated as equal. Right. But what comes from that is that we know, again, that we're upholding our core value and our core statement of serving the patient, mm -hmm. you know, as we are getting this 
individual fulfillment through shared purpose and shared well-being. So we're getting this sort of good feeling because we know what we are doing is good work. Right. And that is completely independent of what the people receive that as. Because again, you can have on one hand of the spectrum, and I'll say someone who's more of a working dog, and you're like, this dog just needs to be euthanized. Like that is literally the most humane. And they're like, mm-hmm you know what, honestly, thank you for being honest with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, I mean, I'm still doing this because I'm gaining fulfillment by making the best recommendation for this patient. Swing the other way into fur baby, you know, high, we're not even saying fur baby, we're saying way beyond that, top 1% anthropomorphization. And it's like, how dare you tell me to euthanize my patient? How dare you? And then, you know, so it's, but for me, it's, okay, there's going to be those veterinarians and those professionals who are like, oh my God, this person's really getting mad. It's like, well, no, they're getting emotional. Mm-hmm. You're just sort of the outlet for that, but your recommendation was made in the best interest of the patient. Right. And that's where, again, I think when we start to everyone deserves to feel good, it's like, no, I feel good in that high anthropomorphization setting where it's like, I feel good because I actually made the best recommendation for this patient. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually care what the person's reaction is. Right. You know, I don't get me wrong. I have, Again, I think all of us like people to be happy. That's mm-hmm. nice. But I am not in a, in a happy business. Right. You know, I am not in a happy culture. I'm not in a happy industry where seven years technicians and nurses are out of the profession where a significant amount of my colleagues are considering suicide. We are not in a happy place. So for me to say, no, my happiness is brought from what I am doing and the good work that I'm bringing to the community and the good work that I'm bringing to my staff. And again, it comes back to the self-worth aspect. I actually don't care whether I have a caregiver who's like, thank you for being honest. And on the other hand, they're like, screw you for being honest. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm actually completely fulfilled because I was honest. Right. You know, and, right. and that's where you get bedside manner. You get these negative reviews. Oh, online, Dr. Riolo is such an asshole. And I'm just like, yeah, probably, you know. <laughs> but part of that, you know, is I'm not saying I don't have tact. Because there's a difference between just kind of being a jerk. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying we're just being a jerk. What I'm saying is, is that if I'm presenting the same information to five different people and they're all receiving it different ways, I still presented the same information. Mm-hmm. I'm not any better or any worse. Um, actually, Annie had heard me catch a phone or she, I was on the phone one time. She actually heard me. I had to talk to a husband. I had to talk to a wife and she was like, how did you nail every word exactly the same over a five minute informed consent spiel? I was like, she's like, that was like a recording. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I, you say the same stuff for 15 years, you know, like you yeah. really should have it on auto load. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I don't mean to ramble but again it's sort of like tying these concepts together between saying you're never going to achieve the you know unicorn practice and you should always be looking at other people to feel good and you deserve to feel that way and you know try to find the good in the day and you know it's just like i you just you can't if you want to maintain a high level of self-worth stop caring what people think about you exactly you know that's it that was all i could think about the whole time was like you know what you want to feel good make it happen yes do it for yourself absolutely like I, I don't know another way to put it. No, and, and the there's thing, nothing wrong with it. No, there's, there's not. It, it, but the but the thing is, the thing that people are are afraid of is now all of the accountability is on them. Like if I feel bad, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. I have to own it. I have to create a solution. I have to implement that solution. That's a scary thing to do for a lot of people because they don't have the skill set to do so. Yeah. So I completely understand why it is f- legitimately frightening for a lot of people to do. However, 
if you want almost zero volatility in your uh, emotional status, right? Like you can have yeah. you know, variability, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we say first reaction, second reaction. Right. Yep. However, as it comes to a, st- a stability's perspective, if you put that on somebody else and you're rating for edification or yeah. or whatever that might be, like boom, you're just gonna yeah, you're all just gonna, over the all place. All over the yeah. place. And you're and what's gonna happen over time is the trend's just gonna go down. Yeah. Because yeah. as much as you know, it's it's the rule of for every one good review, you have ten oh, crap oh, sure. ones, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's the same with react or interactions. Like you're yeah. gonna have your good ones, but you're gonna remember, and you're going to have more of your bad ones because yeah. when people get negative, when they experience negative emotions, yeah. they're gonna say it more. Yeah, yeah. No, and for me, I just chuck it out. Exactly. You know, and like you know, I think a part of it is it's like you know, so my I, I don't know if every generation is this way, but you know, I mean, I graduated in the year two thousand, so you know, for us, it was like we were like this unique group this unique age range where it's like you guys are the new future and you're gonna make a difference and you know so I feel like through most of my elementary hood middle school to uh, high school hood it was all about like you know be yourself be an individual don't worry what people think about you and so through that process of just like you know like oh okay all right yep I'm doing my thing and I you know I'm looking to make a difference in the world you know I I not really gonna care what people think about me and then that's why, again, I carry such a high level of self-worth is it's just been ingrained to me since I was a kid. It's like, you know, the same thing now, you know, uh, you know, uh, what did I, what did I read recently? It was about, um, uh, uh, little girls playing with boys, boys, uh, boys toys, mm-hmm. you know, and saying like, oh, that's a girl's toy. It's, you know, it's a boy's toy. You, you know, you can't, um, you know, mix these two sides. And it's like, well, who cares? They're toys. And why, you know, girls can be scientists, you know, I mean, yeah. girls can drive a tractor. Girls can do these things. Like, mm-hmm. why are we telling them they can and can't? do things it's the same thing like again when I was growing up it was just like no you're here to make a difference you know you're uh, you know maintain self-worth don't worry about what people think about you it's you know not about looks and personality and all these different things um, and then I get into a profession where it's the exact opposite mm-hmm. where the culture of the clinics the interactions with the caregivers all of this whole cultural aspect of a broken industry is nothing but telling you how terrible you are all the time right you know right. and that's why it was so bizarre to me that like I said that clinician when I was in early vet school where it was just like you actually don't have the ability to touch me because I don't even respect you yeah. you know like it just it, it never connected yeah. um and I think, again, that's what we're trying to come back with in all of right, this. Right, but most people don't have that yeah, level I, of maturity yeah. at 19 years old Correct. to be able to handle the criticism yeah. from a from a, a board-certified clinician saying yes. that they're terrible. Correct. Most people yeah. are going to take that and be like, you're right. Right. That's it. Like, yeah. that's the end of their thought pattern. It's no. like, yeah, you're right. No. And now now I'm just starting the, tr- the trend yeah. downward. Let me, uh, I, got, I, got, well, I know we're getting towards the end here, but let me, let me give you this one. So, um... Uh, Eric Langdon. Uh, I have way more notes. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, 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 okay. Uh, From uh, Michigan State, he's one of our listeners, and I I love that guy. Um, He's he's my point man at MSU. But anyway, um, he was telling me that um, him and and some of the um, other administrators within the university, they were kind of instructed to get together. So there was from athletics, um, you know, uh, certainly from College of Vet Med, from engineering, whatever it is, and basically they just sat him into a room and said, figure out what you guys have in common, uh, specifically as it related to kind of like students student handling and student affairs and so on and so forth. Um, and what they, and essentially what it boils down to, and I, I hate to misquote them, but this is essentially what I took away from it is that all these 
top performing athletes to top performing engineers, veterinary students, medical students, all these different groups, what they all had in common is the higher you went up in performance, the lower self-esteem that they had. I'll, I'll say that again. Yes. So okay. the more performance that these people had, the less self-worth that they had, essentially, the, the lower self-esteem that they had. Really? And it's, so it's part of what we talk about is saying, like, you know, for me, it was like there was 1,600 applicants the year I got into veterinary school. I think I was, you know, one uh, 100 of the 1,600 um, and saying, like, now we are into such a small percentile, one sixteenth of the crowd, to then say we're going to bell curve out those 100 people to say we now have the ultra elite smart in the top 5%. You know, like for me, um, you know, I, I think I graduated in the mid-twos for my GPA, you know, which is like, you know, he's like, oh my God, he's a C student. It's like, well, that shit's fucking hard. You know, <laughs> like it's, they throw a lot of stuff at you, you yeah. know? And so, so that's then where they basically say like, as you start to get up into these really high elite students, whether it's from athletics to medical to whatever it is, is that you actually start to see more and more and more and more institutionalized disparagement that is actually showing these high performers that they are actually bottom of the totem pole and that's what we kind of talked about from a hierarchy standpoint yeah um so it's still on that so same. it's basically i gotta knock this one down yeah pretty much on a consistent basis correct yeah the because it's motivating yes and yes. it's making them succeed yes yeah and that was that was like again there may have been other common threads but that was essentially the common thread that they were able to find in their own way in this own problem solving think tank and then it basically came down to how do we fix culture um and then it was actually like i said then in its own way it kind of led over to our section one one and one two making it over to the provost of the university i mean there's a lot of different stuff just yeah. from a tool standpoint not that yeah. necessarily going to implement the whole thing but it's just like you know to say that we have these really simple solutions uh, that are complex in implementation but they are really straightforward but mm -hmm. uh, but again you know it just comes back to that self-worth and saying you're exactly right like i mean you know yeah what did i say yeah, i got into vet school when i was 19 mm -hmm. you know so it was like yeah from 19 to 23 years old it's like maybe part of what saved me was just being fucking naive R right you know right i mean it's saying like i've been told my whole life that i'm make a difference in the world and that I have the ability to make a difference and that I'm going to make a difference and that I need to carry myself with self-worth like that's just who I was and mm -hmm. am you know mm -hmm. I don't think that's ever changed but yeah oh, just the, the, not now that makes that transition out of vet school like even more like real yeah because like you get out and now there's nobody to knock you off. Yes. There's no, there's no one to knock you over so you can get back up and prove your value. Yeah. So then you go out and you look, you essentially look for it. Yeah. And yeah. then, then you're waiting for yeah. self to, yeah, self, uh, self-fulfilling uh, prophecy yeah, of yeah, failure. Yeah. Flagellation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the other, there were two other things that I did want to touch on. The first one was that um, the belief of, and I, I think that this is, this was when the uh, material I felt just started to go way over the heads. Because, Scope. Yeah. Is that the belief was that um, the superpower to success within a practice is to have a team that is a, at a high level of emotional intelligence. And the, uh, so basically... Um, uh, emotional intelligence is being able to understand yourself and the reactions that you have and understanding other people and understanding the reactions that they have. So when you look at it from a, you know, let, let's take the variables that we're familiar with in the tricore. Sure. So understanding yourself extremely well, understanding yeah. the strengths, understanding the weaknesses that you have, yeah. and then understanding how that interacts with sure. 
the potential other set of variables that other people have. Yep. Uh, within that, you've got 4, 11, uh, 17, 21, uh, 27 within I, I, one of the more complicated, but but again, three pages, 27 variables yep. on the tricore yep. that this individual is now saying the superpower is you for you to understand all of them extremely well and understand how that is also going. Like you don't have that information on that other person, so you're going to have to infer it sure, and then be able to control it. Sure. Uh, that's a big task. Yes. For 98% of people. Yes. Um, I had had that thought, uh, in a, in a different set, uh, of, of strategy when uh, we were actually referring, uh, working with one of our uh, shelters with their euthanasia process. Sure. Because their staff wasn't really understanding like the way that they were reacting to the euthanasia process and the decision-making process was greatly impacting those that were having to fulfill that process emotionally. So basically like person A is taking three dogs because it's, it's, you know, it's that time. Right. And like everyone else is like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like I feel bad. And mm -hmm. like, why are you doing that? Right. So then my thought was, well, do we teach these people emotional intelligence because they don't understand what they're saying? Yep. And what I really came down to in that conversation and understanding the talent level that was there and just like just purely from an educated perspective is like, no, nah, that will never be absorbed. Yeah. It's just too much. It could be cut in not to say that they aren't smart people, but that's massive. Like yeah. that's such a big thing where like for me in that specific instance, and I think is a, a better rule of thumb is to go to process, to explain the yes. process of why this decision was made to let them understand the process in their own way because the process should be core value aligned right. the process should be in alignment with the ultimate purpose of the practice and with that if they don't agree with the process they're in the wrong place and they can just leave yeah and then over time with the war of attrition your culture yep. turns into one that is aligned and you don't have the people that are negatively reacting to the process that is extremely justified and a part of the whole the whole yeah. picture that comes back to us being ex like incredibly pragmatic and objective mm -hmm. is that you know for us like you said the war of attrition but as you were kind of going through that as the humane society was one example it's like no actually i think about that internally with us as well yeah so we talk about and I just said a moment ago neutrality the graying you know the equality of the process is its process and process it, we're not actually taking away people's individuality we're not doing that we're not asking them to fit into some bubble what we're saying is so let's take Take that um, emotional intelligence component, right? Mm -hmm. So what we do is on the objective fashion, we have our variables. We say, okay, here's a process, right? So whether we talk about patient separation or we talk about uh, euthanasia policy, uh, caregivers present, IV catheter, I mean, all these different types of things where it's like this makes the most amount of sense, which is why we meet every other week from a leadership team standpoint, look at all of our issues as we talked in the 515 between our issues to our one years to our three months to now the 515 for other administrators, but also our to-do list is we are incredibly pragmatic about creating process right um and when again when we start to say okay well this is actually serving the purpose of the patient and this is serving educating the caregiver um and then like you said we have people who don't align with process it's like all right well 
do you just not understand it? Right. Can I teach it to you? That's mm-hmm. our that's our education system. Mm-hmm. Can I help you understand it? What we're not doing is controlling their emotion. That's what we talk about first emotion, second emotion. We're not we're not saying you can't have this emotional response. All we're saying is is that a lot of what we do has to be set in equality and part of where you're coming from into this organization or into this process may actually mean what you're doing is is you are placing your emotions on someone else. Right. You are placing your judgment on someone else. Yep. You may be in this place because we know our process is pure on equality and pure on um, objectivity. We're not asking anyone to, you know, go outside of themselves. What we're saying is, is just be respectful of one another. Right. And what I like about the tricores, like you said, the 27 variables, whatever it happens to be, um, is what we then end up doing is we have conflict, right? Well, we have an entire section on how to create accountability and manage good conflict between the case reviews, the after action reviews, and essentially be set in forgiveness. I mean, that's section 1.2, um, or page that is, page four, or something like that. Yep. Um, but again, it's saying, okay, we have processed that when we lack emotional intelligence or, you know, so that emotional understanding between employees, like we can actually acknowledge that that is occurring. that we actually have this lack of understanding between these two individuals. We have process to then help those two people figure it out. Right. You know, and saying, this is why this occurred. Like when uh, Annie and Rachel had their um, uh, verbal review Mm -hmm. is it was like, oh, this is clear. Annie, when words come out of your mouth, they don't hit Rachel's brain right. And Rachel, when they come out of your mouth, they don't hit Annie's brain right. Yep. It was literally those two sentences. I didn't have the vocabulary of saying, well, actually, on a systems thinking and practical thinking standpoint, and you guys just think this way, you think that way, and that's why you guys weren't seeing it because it was a big picture, small picture type item. It was like, oh, it's just you guys aren't hearing each other the right way. Exactly. You know, so it's, you know, a, a lot of times it's saying you're, you're not going to align. So I agree with you bringing that up as a point and saying as far as emotional intelligence, a part of it is having a system to get through conflict. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not saying you have to have a team that has perfect emotional right. intelligence. You cannot walk into an interview expecting or even like into an onboarding process. Let's give them 90 days to yeah. be no. proficient no. in this. Yeah. No way. No. I've been doing this for years and yeah. I'm still like yeah. a, a C minus student. Yeah. Like it's right. hard to do. It's yeah. it takes time and it takes effort. You cannot understand it from reading a book. You have to practice it. Mm-hmm. You have to experience useful conflicts. Yes. And, and and that go you know, one of the things that you had mentioned in that and is actually the last thing there are more things, but the, to me, this is kind of the thing that I did want to end on is the idea of um, that that was that was implied in this whole conversation was that if you're an emotionally if you're a, if you are an emotionally intelligent person, even on an individual basis, you can um, you can understand when you're about to have a negative, worrisome victimhood, anger, or a an emotional draw reaction, and you can be rational about it. And the specific wording that was used on a multiple times, and it was really the the tone of it, was to gag the first emotional reaction. Oh. It was specifically gagging the emotional response. Okay. And to me... Because that sounds healthy. And then followed right up thereafter, she had talked about how you essentially have a, a specific tank of energy, and she had used like... Uh, just like dog bones or something. Yeah, sure. like, yeah, all right. So. Uh, so it takes you like two to get out of bed and two to get through half the day and blah, blah, blah. Like, and yeah. that's it, the, the spending energy. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the thing was like, Oh, well you end up on a negative and therefore yeah. at least a burnout. Right? right. Well, what else takes energy? 
right. gagging your emotional response. <laughs> and that's one of the hardest things for people to yeah. do. Yeah. Like, I get it. Be a professional. Yep. Be an adult. Like, yep. check your shit at the door. Yeah. But if something's really pissing you off that bad and you need to go be mad, yes. go be mad. Like, just don't waste time. Don't waste energy. Just get it out yeah. so you can just breathe again. Yes. Like, yes. this is not some zen place. Like, there are emotions that, and you're going to have your own reactions yep. to stuff. Like, you can't gag that. No. You, like, you can be professional, but you... Yeah. We t- no, we talk oh, about that all... I mean, I, I've said... How many podcasts have I said it now? Have your first emotion to get exactly. to your second one. And that's that's where, I mean, I think the words... And that's the rational part. Yeah, that's the rational part. But the part, thing is, yeah. if you continuously gag the first one, yeah. you're number one, you're being extremely disingenuous to yourself. Correct. I you're was going to say You're completely lying yep. to yes, yourself. Absolutely. And then where does where does that lead to? A, an extreme lack of autonomy. Now, yeah. uh, now, I just expect a robot, not an individual. Correct. I compl- I, you need to behave a specific way consistently because i'm expecting no emotions out yes. of you or even just like a little bit or yeah. just be really really rational about it. like yeah. no like right you're human yeah well no then it then it, it perpetuates an environment of disparagement so exactly. if, if you are if you are cultivating environment where one we said you have high emotional intelligence and that high emotional intelligence means that you don't have any emotion exactly that sounds dumb <laughs> That sounds dumb, exactly. you know, because then what happens is you create an administrative infrastructure, like you said, to lack autonomy, but you create an administrative infrastructure that disparages people's first emotion. Yes. You have an emotional reaction here. You're not being rational. Now, listen, I, okay, being, and I'm not going to be uh, gender specific here, uh, you know, or at least my own thing, but um, I've had plenty of girlfriends where the last thing you want to say is calm down, you're being irrational. <laughs> Let me tell you what doesn't work ever, okay? Now, that's more specific to my own experiences. So we're going to say, let's go ahead and found a principal operation on that and saying, you know what, don't have that. You're being irrational. I can't imagine a more volatile environment. Exactly. That sounds terrible. Exactly. You know, so uh, yeah, that is that is concerning. But again, when we start to say like, no, to me... If I was gonna, if I was gonna define, you know, what emotional intelligence is, um, it's just having emotion, and it's just understanding like emotion is a part of who we are. Right. We are we are not robots. We are individuals, and it's I, I come back to the um, review clarity meeting that we had with Rachel. Mm-hmm. Is that you know coming into the end of that um, is you know for her there was one very key moment. It was the metric which ultimately led to the five fifteen report. Is there was some kind of low markers on her performance review, and she really wanted to talk about why that was, and it's like the only way she was going to get over this hurdle is like i'm not going to be able to implement the 515s because i can't stop thinking about why i got this low mark and we were kind of like we kind of don't have like specific examples mm-hmm. um and that was like the final mark where it was like um you know we i said to her i'm like rachel you're just not going to get specific examples because we just don't have them mm-hmm. and it was like this wave where you could tell the emotion was i mean because you get getting tired we were getting emotional we were having that first emotional response and then i'm like so in order for us to continue to improve together we're going to start to do the 515 so we can just sort of break the system and find where these issues are and tackle the problems when they happen and it was like boom second emotion aha Right. Obviously. And she had said she went home and talked to her husband and he was like, you know, did you guys figure it out? Remember? She's like, no, I didn't get any examples. He's like, what? And she's like, yeah, but we're going to 
get better. Well, how are you going to get better? We're, we're actually just going to get better with this 515 because it's going to allow me to get better. He's like, it's, none of this makes any sense. Yeah. You know, well, it's from an outsider's <laughs> perspective. I get it. Yeah. I yeah. understand how yeah. that doesn't make a lot of sense. Listen to the podcast episode 19. Yes, it's right there. Exactly. You know, uh, but it's, it's really, um, what the, the key, the key to that the emotion. Exactly. You didn't say stop crying. Nope. You didn't say we're going to be rational about this. No. And this is what's going to happen. No, I know not to say we that. Le- well, right. But that that conversation took ex- a, a number of hours to happen because yep. there was there that wasn't the only emotional no. reaction that had to happen. No, yeah. there wasn't a full acknowledge, and that was what our after action uh, from about four weeks ago was. Also, like yeah. there was some emotional stuff that was just put out there. It's like I just got to say it. Yeah, I just have to get this out yeah. and understanding like n- that when we went through the after action. That's why the facilitator is so important, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. Keep someone it, outside keep, of keep yeah. it in check a little bit. Yeah. Um, is that all of that stuff is is really about expressing that so you can get past it, you can yes. get over it, and you can now get into the world of yes. rational thought, problem solving, implementing solutions. Yeah. Clear past forgiveness. Don't gag the first emotional reaction. No. Yes. Like, I no. cannot, it, 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 like, again, be a professional about it understand the process that it is, you know, be, be an adult. I get it. Yeah. But you kind of said minimize impact was, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. But don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to the people that are around you because that's yeah. the other thing too. And like, I'm, I will very much admit I am, I try really hard to be a cheerful person but, yeah. on a day-to-day basis. But there are many days where I am not at a hundred percent of that. Yeah. And I communicate that to everybody at the yeah. onset. What, regardless of what it is, like I just walk into the room and say, guys, I, I know what you are expecting and this yeah. is what's happening. So I apologize in advance. And if it becomes a problem, let me know. Yep. Right. But yep. that's allowing me the opportunity to be, you know, that that's the professional portion, but yes. it's also not requiring me to lie about the fact that or faking the fact that I'm just in a great mood all the time. Correct. Yes. Right. Like to me, that's how that's done. Yeah. So it, it, oh, I got really, when that happened, triggered. And it was, I, yeah, yeah, I hate that word, but yeah. that's basically what it is. Uh, and then she talks about like this whole energy thing. And like, I think I do want to go over this one because this one bugged me. You had 13 energy tokens for the day. And she asked, how many tokens does it take you to get out of bed? Guess what the group's average was out of 13? 12. Four. Okay. Four to get out of bed. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, if it takes more than one, yeah, you, uh, what? Yeah, it's you just get up. Yeah, yeah. I had a um, actually a discussion with someone at the gym the other day. Um, maybe it was last week or something like that. Um, but it was, you know, it was basically the mindset of um, you die once, but you live every day. Yes. You know, so yes. it's, you know, the people that are, you know, uh, in some capacity in older life, you know, there's at the end of their life waiting to die, that kind of thing. But for me, it was more on like, yeah, again, it, it, it takes me zero tokens to get out of bed. Zero. Yeah. Like, and, and, and part of that is on the growth mindset and like finding an opportunity to fail for the day. Like I look for opportunities to fail. That's mm-hmm. probably messed up by most people. You know, <laughs> like I, I look for a chance on how I can actually get better that day. And I do the best that I can in that day. And I wake up and I am thankful every day that I wake up, you know, mm-hmm. 
between, you know, I don't, I'm lucky enough to not have, you know, a lot of congenital issues, you know, or family traits, you know, those types of things. But it's like every single day I wake up, I'm like one more. Right. I got one more. And it was, uh, you know, the, the woman, you know, at the gym, she had said, if, if you knew this was going to be your last day, would you come to the gym? And I'm like, well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> you know, like, of course I would go. It's the last day I get to go to the gym. Like yeah. I would want to go, right. you know? Um, so it's that mindset of, you know, okay, make the most out of every day, you know, not tomorrow is never promised. I mean, there's all these, I think kind of these key coins that come into it, but it's, you know, if I have, if I have 13 tokens, um, I think honestly, the way in which I would spend them is I would take zero tokens to get out of bed and find the most efficient way to give away all 13 to someone else who needs them. That was what the, um, the conversation turned into with yeah. those, whereas like the more that you give to other people, the yeah. more they're going to give to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. so like, I, that's where it ended up. But yeah. like it was the, it was the onset of that conversation of like, yeah. again, going to the mindset of the people that were in the room. Of yeah. like It takes you people four of 13 yeah. just to get up. Like, yeah cheer up a little bit yeah i mean yeah yeah and and again i don't think it's cheer up from the perspective of like you deserve to be good you deserve to be treated well you yeah. know i mean i think it's you know again and i think you know for a lot of people in our profession you know we know it's identified there are mental health issues i yeah, mean depression is a real thing yep. you know um and i think you know it's not to be completely um you know, sort of uh, ignorant or negligent of people who do have legitimate issues, but it all intertwines together. We're talking about this swing from culture and education over to the business practice side, and it swings right through all of our problems again. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I kind of have them separated on side is it's like the only way you can go from, uh, you know, uh, culture, core value and education over to business and PR is you got to swing back through the shit to get to the other side. Right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's, um, you know, again, uh, coming into you know getting up and getting out of bed like i get it's tough mm -hmm. i understand that it's tough um but when we look at the solutions that we have and then of course when we have speakers coming and talking to us in this fa fashion in a very subtle tone of acceptance that's what i have heard from you in yes. this whole thing is that there is a tone of acceptance of being powerless and what i really want people to take away from these podcasts and our efforts in the industry and our efforts on the local level our efforts in the individual level is that you don't have to settle for this mm -hmm. there is a way to make things better and even if we don't think that there is a way to make things better i guarantee you there is a way we can make things better right um, and that's, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily want to end it. No, today, I but, think that's a great you know. ending point because it does end on a positive note, you know, to yep. kind of, to, to go back to the beginning, number one, I'm extremely thankful for the individual that did this. Oh, yeah. And I do want to yeah, just yeah. finish that yeah. because there she, was a, a number of value points. So yeah. she sounds like a very uh, practical thinker. Systems may be outside of her range, but they're very, uh, that was the impression that I got potentially yeah. worded towards the audience, uh, in, yeah. in, tr uh, in the attempt to create consumable items. Sure. Um, know but, the crowd. Right. But uh, I, I, I do have a level of, you know, a significant level of gratitude for what she's, she's Absolutely. doing. So Out there trying you. it. Yep. Um, trying to make and, a better world. And, you know, um, I, but yes, that, that does go to the, the, the final point uh, as we as we swing over to the other side is everything that in here that is in here, at least of, of my understanding and I think of yours as well, is we have control over it. We at, do. Some, at some level, we might not have control over the whole thing, yeah. but there are many, many variables that are out here and are in front of us that we can control to create uh, better, uh, you know, a more defined purpose, more well-being for the people that are ourselves and the people that are around us yep. and uh, start to make some differences uh, on for patients on both a culture side with working yep. with caregivers and also a business side and making.
making care more feasible as well. Yep. So I think that's a, a fantastic transition into jumping into availability and affordability, yeah. right? Yep. Because that's really the where the whole concept of how our service bubble grew yeah, essentially. is like what are we what are we do what are we trying to do from a business perspective? Um yeah, so center. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, coming into these next weeks, I mean, I think maybe we'll try to line up a few more interviews, mm-hmm. um, maybe get a phone in or something like that and just yep. kind of continue this move and kind of give you some more real world type experiences. But I think, I think that was a pretty good one. Yeah. So thanks for the time, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. All right, guys. We'll see you next week.